And Rhino, he's not even an issue. I don't sweat Rhino. Rhino's got him set up on the rope right here. I am your host, Dan Rhino. It has been a while, but we are back once again. Of course, the Rhino Wrestling Review brought to you by our friends at ProWrestling.com and available on all podcast platforms. And we've been away for a little while, but you've probably heard me most weeks on STF Underground over there with Dougie Wrestling and Mr. Main Event. That drops every Friday on all podcast platforms. And like I said, thanks again to ProWrestling.com for making this uh, little podcast possible for you. And we are continuing our journey through the history of women's wrestling. We started this journey a little while back when I originally kind of thought that, hey, this will be a two or a three part episode. And I quickly learned that it was going to be a much greater undertaking than that. And as we continue our journey here, we are on part three. And we are going to focus part three on two of my favorite ladies in the history of women's wrestling who have had success both in the ring and as valets. A couple of Hall of Famers, a couple of ladies who were ahead of their time and that would have fit right in with today's women's evolution. If we're doing a history of women's wrestling, we cannot forget about two of the most versatile female performers of all time, that being Sherry Martell and Medusa. Like I said, two ladies that had amazing runs as wrestlers and probably more memorably for some, in Sherry's case, as a manager with managerial runs for Randy Savage, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, Harlem Heat. And let's talk about Sherry first, because Sherry's career in wrestling wasn't a childhood dream. She was born as Sherry Russell, and her mom used to take her to see matches at the circus, but Sherry actually wanted to join the circus as a clown. And as she got older, she saw a better opportunity to make it as a female wrestler, just because of the state of the business at the time, rather than making it as a female clown. So when Sherry was 16, she asked Grizzly Smith if he would train her, but he turned her down and told her she was too young. So several years go by, Sherry is in her early 20s living in Memphis and starts training at a tiny wrestling school there. But if you were a woman and you wanted to make it into business, you had to go to, you guessed it, all roads re- lead to the Fabulous Moolah. We've talked about Fabulous Moolah in the first two episodes. We're going to talk about her again today because, for better or for worse, Moolah has her hands in so many different aspects of women's wrestling 
leading all the way up to today. So Sherry signs up with Moolah and made her debut as Sherry Martin in 1980, but Moolah changed her name to Sherry Martel and sent her to Japan in 1981. And the Martel name probably came from Rick Martel, who was a very successful wrestler in the uh, 80s and even into the the 90s i mean Mar- rick martell was even on night i remember him on nitros and thunders in the in the mid 90s and still was doing good work and staying in great shape all the way up into the the 90s and you might remember him if you were a fan of my age when he was in the wwf at the time and then kind of got the crazy gimmick as the model and was spraying the arrogance in everybody's eyes. But Rick Martell is probably where they got, where Moolah got the Martell name. So Sherry becomes Sherry Martin and then Sherry Martell. And Moolah sends her to Japan in 1981. But in 1982, Sherry had a badly dislocated leg in a battle royal and couldn't wrestle for a couple of years. And this was when she realized she had the knack for managing. So being unable to get into the ring and compete, Sherry tried another avenue in pro wrestling, and that was being a valet slash manager. And she ended up managing Buddy Rose and Doug Summers in the AWA and having a lot of success with that. And it would take her a few years to get back to in-ring action, but Sherry did return in 1985. She started a feud with AWA Women's Champion Candy Devine and on September 28th, 1985 at Comiskey Park in Chicago where the White Sox played in front of 21,000 fans, Sherry Martell defeated Candy Devine and became the AWA Champion. And Sherry and Candy swapped the belt back and forth the next couple of years and during this time Sherry was getting the reputation of not just being a great worker, but also being a badass who didn't take crap from anyone, male or female, backstage. And we talked about the original WWF screw job on the last episode where Fabulous Moolah in the Spider Lady mask took the title from Wendy Richter. If you have not heard that insane story, please go back and listen to episode two because it is nutso what happened years before the Montreal screw job. We had the Moolah screw job. But the summer of 1987, as kind of a byproduct of that, Vince McMahon was looking for a new women's champion. Because Wendy Richter had gotten screwed over because she had spoke up about her low pay and the houses that she had helped drawn and she wasn't being financially compensated for that. Moolah was kind of just the go-between to get the title off of Richter, and Richter left the company and actually went to the AWA. So all these roads kind of start to intersect a little bit here. And then, of course, Moolah is the WWF champion, but she's not a long-term plan for for Vince. Vince doesn't see Moolah as the long-term answer there. But Vince does see Sherry Martell in the AWA. And like I said, he was looking for a new face of the women's division, and he decided to poach one of his favorite spots, that being the AWA. Because the AWA was where Vince took Hulk Hogan, it's where he poached Bobby Heenan, it's where he got Mr. Perfect, it's where he got Mean Gene Okerlund, it's where he got Jesse Ventura, and and so many more. He really just liked to mess with, with Vern Gagne in the AWA. And Vince decided that he wanted Sherry Martell to head up his women's division as champion. 
So Sherry was the AWA champ at the time, but Vern Gagne, who was the head of the AWA, had never actually put pen to paper and signed her to a contract. So Sherry, even though she was the AWA champ, was technically a free agent who could work anywhere she wanted. And on July 24th, 1987, just three days after successfully defending her AWA women's title, Sherry Martell defeated Moolah for the WWF women's title in Houston without ever dropping the AWA women's title. So she was the AWA women's champion and the WWF women's champion at the same time. And this was when Sherry Martell would morph into the sensational Sherry. This is where she, be, she got that moniker shortly after this WWF title win. And she became the new heel champion for Vince McMahon's WWF. And Sherry began feuding with Grizzly Smith. Remember the guy who didn't want to train her. Actually, Grizzly Smith is Jake the Snake Roberts' father. And also Rockin' Robin's father. So Grizzly Smith's daughter... Rock and Robin began feuding with Sherry over the WWF women's title. And Robin ended up taking the title from Sherry. And for the next couple of years, that being like 1988, 1989, their feud was really the only women's program in the company. So the writing seemed to be on the wall. And you can see that Vince's interest in the women's division was definitely fading in the late 80s here. But Sherry was brilliant. Sherry was always ahead of the game, always thinking three steps ahead. Sherry saw this coming, and while she was doing her in-ring work, she had already began working as a valet for Randy Savage. And she had an amazing run as Savage's valet. And you may even remember when she became Queen Sherry when Savage was the Macho King. And even got to team up with Randy at WrestleMania 6, which was that big Hogan versus Warrior event in the Skydome in Toronto. I think like 60,000 people or something like that. Sherry even got to team up with Savage at WrestleMania 6 in 1990 when they teamed up against Dusty Rhodes and Sweet Sapphire. I remember that feud very fondly. And then the next year at WrestleMania 7... When Randy Savage lost his retirement match to the Ultimate Warrior, Sherry had another memorable moment where she was beating up Savage and kicking him for losing and ruining her career in the process. And that's when Miss Elizabeth would come out of the crowd, grab Sherry by the hair, and throw her out of the ring. Sherry taking a big bump for Elizabeth, and that reunited Elizabeth and and Savage, at least in kayfabe, and led to a big story between the two. So Sherry really kind of did it all in a in a short period of time in AWA and WWF. But as so many of the, the wrestlers back then had, Sherry had demons. And she was released from the WWF because of her drug and alcohol issues. And it was really unfortunate, unfortunate because this was right at a time in 1993... When after, you know, about four years of nothing really happening in the women's division, the WWF women's division was having a bit of a resurgence. And part of that resurgence is who we're going to be talking about next, uh, that being Alundra Blaze slash Medusa. But the timing was doubly bad for Sherry because she really could have shined at this time. 
when we talk about Medusa here in a few minutes, you're going to see that they had to bring over talent from Japan just to kind of give Medusa people to work with. And Sherry would have been perfect in that role. But like I said, the Demons got the best of her and she was released from WWE. Sherry did do some work with WCW, mostly as a valet in the 90s. Then she did some independent stuff in the 2000s before a bad back injury ended her career. She wrestled her last match at Wrestle Reunion in Tampa, Florida in January of 2005. And about a year after that, she was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2006. Unfortunately, about a year after that, she passed away on June 15, 2007. Uh, she was found dead of an overdose at the age of 49. And at the time of her death, she was actually working as the first female agent that the company had ever had. And they were taking advantage of her ability to help female workers with their promos, their in-ring work, and just to kind of generally just toughen them up. Because Sherry Martell really could do everything in pro wrestling. And she's just another example of someone that could still be contributing in a positive way to the business, but we lost her too young. So, Sherry became the face of the WWF women's division after Wendy Richter and, of course, Moolah again with the Moolah screw job. But in the early 90s, after a several-year gap of nothing really happening, the division got a bit of a reboot, and the person at the head of the reboot was Medusa, a.k.a. Alundra Blaze, who's the other woman we're going to be ta- featuring on this episode here. And she was born, Deborah Maselli, was born in Italy, but grew up in the wrestling hotbed of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And just like Sherry, Medusa didn't dream of becoming a wrestler. By the time her teenage years were done, you know, by the time her 20th birthday rolled around, she had already tried being a nurse, a dog groomer, she was working as a Hollywood stunt woman. And it was with this stunt work and through some connections in in Hollywood that she caught the eye of one of the most famous trainers in wrestling history and that being Eddie Sharkey and if you haven't heard of Eddie Sharkey this is the guy who at one time or another trained Bob Backlund, Demolition Smash, Nikita Koloff, ODB, The Road Warriors, Ravishing Rick Rude, Jesse Ventura, Rick Steiner, X-Pac, Jerry Lynn, Austin Aries, so many talents over the years and Eddie Sharkey managed to convince Medusa to try pro wrestling and started to train her in 1984 and soon after she started working shows for Sharkey in small venues very shortly after starting her training usually earning about five bucks (laughs) per show five bucks and the pleasure of getting the the pro wrestling experience in 1986 So we're talking less than two years after Medusa started training. Wahoo McDaniel actually talked Vern Gagne into bringing Medusa into the AWA to work with Sherry Martell. So you can see how all these roads in women's wrestling start to uh, coincide with one another. And when Sherry quit the AWA, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, to go to the WWF without dropping the title, it opened a spot for a new champion to be named. So on December 27, 1987, in Las Vegas, Medusa defeated 
Uh, former champion Candy Divine, who, of course, Sherry Martell had traded the title with uh, just the previous year or two. And Medusa became the vacant AWA champion. And she remained the champion for almost a full year and ended up losing the title in, in November 1988 to, like I said, all roads coincide with one another as we talk about women's wrestling. She lost the title in November 1988 to former WWF champion Wendy Richter after Wendy left WWF because of the Montreal screw job. It's so weird how everything just kind of flows together with these ladies that we're talking about during this time. Again, if you have not heard of the Moolah screw job, go back and hear all about that in the last episode because it is not so. But don't feel bad for Medusa because she caught the eyes of All Japan Pro Wrestling and ended up becoming the first American to receive a full-time contract with the company. And she spent about four years with All Japan, had an amazing run in Japan, also getting the chance to work some WCW shows along the way because of the partnership between uh, the Japan promotions and WCW. But in 1993, Vince McMahon was getting the itch to restart the women's division. And Vince saw something special in Medusa and wanted to make her the face of his rebooted women's division. And she was given the name Alundra Blaze and won the women's title, defeating Heidi Lee Morgan in a tournament final in December of 1993. But as we alluded to a little uh, while ago, the problem was Alundra didn't have a lot of high-caliber opponents to work with and wanted Vince to bring in some talent that she was familiar with from Japan. And this led to probably her best, most memorable feud with the WWF, and that being with Bull Nakano. But even though the WWF brought in several other Japanese wrestlers throughout 1995, the women's division was just on creaky legs, and Vince didn't really see the, the need to put any more time and effort and money into it. And by the end of 1995, Alundra's contract wasn't renewed. She was still the WWF champ, but the division just kind of disappeared with a whimper. There wasn't any big blow-off. There wasn't any loser-leaves-town match. There wasn't any retiring of the belt. It just kind of faded away. And this is where Alundra's most famous or infamous, depending on how you feel, moment of her career happened. And it wasn't in a wrestling ring. With the Monday Night Wars... Eric going on, Eric Bischoff saw an opportunity to take a shot at the WWF. And on November 18th, 1995, only five days after Alundra was let go, she showed up as Medusa on WCW Monday Nitro. And she brought the WWF women's title belt with her. And on live TV... She came out, she said that her name was Medusa, she said she used to be called Alundra Blaze in the WWF, and like I said, in one of the more memorable moments in the Monday Night Wars, Medusa dropped the belt, WWF belt, in a garbage can and said, this is what I think of the WWF women's title, 
this is where the big boys play and now this is where the big girls play and this all kind of started when Medusa says she got a call from Eric Bischoff who had heard of her release and was familiar with Medusa from their days in the AWA together and Bischoff asked if she wanted to come work for WCW which of course she did she was the breadwinner in her family and her uh, she needed to couldn't be too long without a paycheck but then Bischoff asked if she still had the physical women's title Bischoff asked Medusa how she felt about throwing the belt in the trash on live TV and Medusa just happy to have a job after being released by the WWF was cool with it as long as she was allowed to return the title to Vince McMahon afterwards. That's what she kept saying. She said, I have to send this belt back to Vince. I'm ha we can do this. This will be cool. This will be fine. But I got it as long as we're not keeping it forever. And so it happened. And it's one of the more memorable moments of the Monday Night Wars. And it was actually, a lot of people say that that was kind of the catalyst. You know, kind of the kickstart. Uh, even before Scott Hall came out on TV, even before Kevin Nash came out on TV, even before Hulk Hogan turned heel and joined the NWO. Medusa throwing that women's title in the trash is very memorable. You know, you could probably close your eyes and see it just by thinking of the, the thought of the event. And inadvertently, Medusa throwing the WWF women's title in the trash may have led to the Montreal screw job almost two years later. We talked about the Moolah screw job with Wendy Richter on the last episode, and we alluded to it on this episode. Like I said, go back to the last episode. It is a crazy story. Years before the Montreal screw job happened, the Moolah screw job happened. But Medusa dropping the women's title in the trash on Nitro, like I said, may have inadvertently led to the Montreal screw job almost two years later. Because in November of 97, Vince McMahon was on hard times. He knew he couldn't afford Bret Hart's 20-year contract that he had given him for some reason. And Bret was also his champ at the time. And Vince, even with Bret as his champion, he encouraged Bret Hart to go to WCW and get a deal. Even while he was under contract with WWF, Vince McMahon told Brett, go to WCW, see, what the, see what's there for you, see what kind of deal you can get, because I can't afford your contract. Problem was, Brett didn't want to drop the WWF title to Shawn Michaels in Canada at the Survivor Series pay-per-view, because of how big a piece of garbage Shawn was at the time, and the legitimate heat between the two. So you got Bret Hart, who's your champion, you got Bret Hart, who Vince McMahon can't afford his contract. You got Bret Hart, who goes to WCW, secures a deal, and is able to go to WCW as soon as his con as soon as uh, he fulfills the last date of, I guess, this year of his contract with with WWF, or maybe they had I agreed on a date that it was going to be uh, ended. Uh, pending the, the signing with WCW. So Brett already knows he's going to WCW. He knows he has to do the honors on the way out. He just doesn't want to do them to Shawn Michaels. He doesn't want to do it in Canada. He doesn't want to do it at this pay-per-view. And rumor has it that they had worked out some kind of finish where there would be a 
count out or disqualification or something like that. And that Brett said that he would give up the belt on Raw or give up the belt at a uh, an untelevised event or, or whatever. He just didn't want to drop it in Canada. He didn't want to drop it on the pay-per-view, and he definitely didn't want to drop it to Shawn Michaels. And Vince had to be had to have been kept awake at night by the possibility that Bret Hart could pull a Medusa, take the WWF title to Nitro, and dump it in the garbage. That had to have been on his mind. Especially in 1997, when WWF was on the verge of going out of business. I mean, this was the time that we talked about how Vince said he couldn't afford Bret Hart's contract. The company had infamously taken the water coolers out of Titan Towers in order to save money. So, not only did Medusa have one of the more memorable wrestling moments in the 1990s, she also had an inadvertent effect on possibly the most infamous moment in wrestling history. That being the Montreal Screwjob, because Vince didn't want to see the same thing that Medusa did with the women's title happen with the biggest title in his company. So Medusa's in WCW now. She brings in a bunch of new ladies uh, to work with. Uh, on her recommendation, WCW brings in a bunch of new ladies to form a new women's division like Bull, Bull Nakano, Leilani Kai, and others to work with Medusa. But the women's division never seemed to really get off the ground with WCW. It never really seemed like a priority for the company. Because they brought in all these ladies starting in the summer of 1996, and by the end of 1997, the division was done. It was just gone. So Medusa started a new career as a valet in WCW. Uh, had a little bit little run there, but actually started wrestling again a couple years later in 1999. But this time she was doing intergender matches in WCW. She was actually part of the WCW World Heavyweight Title Tournament, uh, being the only woman in that tournament fighting against the men. And she even had a short run as the WCW Cruiserweight Champion. But that, that was kind of the, the end of, of the wrestling career of Medusa on a main scale. Because there was a lot of bad blood between Medusa and the WWE following the belt trashing incident. And when WCW went out of business and Vince McMahon bought WCW, there was really no chance of Medusa going back to work with the WWE because of all that bad blood. So she retired. But in 2015, 20 years after the live trashing of the WWF belt on Nitro, Medusa was welcomed back to the WWE and was inducted into the Hall of Fame as Alundra Blaze. And she even did a skit during her speech at the end where she pulls the WWF women's title from a trash can and said that the belt was finally back home where it belongs. And it was a nice end to a strange journey for Deborah Maselli slash Alundra Blaze slash Medusa. And who knows how more prominently we would have we would look back on both of these ladies, Sherry and Medusa, had they been born 20 years later. I mean, they both had great looks. They were both ahead of their time in ring workers. They both could have thrived in today's wrestling scene where women's wrestling is featured so prominently as opposed to in their heydays where women's wrestling was an afterthought. But Medusa is, uh, you'll still see her pop up uh, from time to time. I believe she was 
uh, a part of the uh, May Young Classic, the uh, the women's tournaments that they were doing uh, down in NXT. Uh, she was part of that as a uh, comment commentator and an analyst. And uh, you'll still see Medusa pop up from time to time, so it's good to still see her around because it's good to see wrestlers have a positive end to their story because so often we do not get that so often these wrestlers careers or these wrestlers lives end on a, a down note they end too soon uh, just like in sherry's case and it's positive to see somebody like medusa who probably didn't have as good a run as she could have had had she uh, been in the business 20 years later but is an all-time great and should be remembered as such and that applies to both sherry and medusa so thanks to everybody for downloading listening and subscribing rhino wrestling review is available on all podcast platforms and if you're listening on itunes or google play or iHeartRadio or spotify uh, go ahead and leave me a review uh, i appreciate any feedback you can give me uh, hopefully i've earned your five-star review uh, shoot me an email rhino wrestling review at gmail.com uh, with any questions or comments and i will respond to every single email and occasionally we even do uh, mailbag episodes on here where we'll read your question and answer it on air uh, you can follow me on twitter at dan rhino uh, you can follow the show on twitter at rhino underscore wrestling uh, you can follow stf underground uh, the show that i appear on uh, with Dougie Wrestling and Mr. Main Event, uh, which drops drops every Friday, available on all podcast platforms. Uh, you can follow that show at STF Underground. And until next time, when we will be back with part four of the history of women's wrestling, I am Dan Rhino. This is the Rhino Wrestling Review, and don't kick out of each other's finishers. See ya. Hey. It's the R to the Y, N to the O, on the block like a tortoise with a slow, on the block like a baker cause I'm picking up my dough, and when I'm in the booth, like I'm cooking up a O.